Great to see you all. Our right, passage for today is uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through to 28. Uh, please follow along in your Bible or in the order of service. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads. And dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was, was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood. Before him, the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked, then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he had come to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up out and before, 
which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed great. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall differ from all the, all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall be put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Thank you, Lord. Yes, that is our Bible reading. No, we don't need to panic just yet. But it's probably a good idea that we pray uh, as we get into God's Word today. So let's do that. Let's pray. O living God, We pray that you'd help us so to hear your holy word today, that we may truly understand, and that understanding we may believe, and that believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay. Now, I'm very glad that I don't dream very much. Or if I do, I don't remember my dreams. I know some of you might dream very often and dream very vivid dreams. But I wonder, if you had a dream like Daniel had that night, how do you think you'd feel? Terrified, I hear someone say. You know, Daniel couldn't possibly forget what he saw as he lay on his bed that night with these dreams of these four monsters and what happened to them. And you know, I love how honest Daniel is about the way his dreams made him feel. He's really affected by his dreams. So verse 15, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. And again in verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. I kept the matter in my heart. And you know, in the next chapter, in chapter 8, Daniel receives another vision It's kind of a a parallel to this one, and it says it actually leaves him sick for days. He can't get up out of bed. But, you know, it's so honestly deeply disturbed by a dream. I'm sure most of us have had the experience where we've woken up in a cold sweat, and the the line between what's real and what's imaginary is still a bit blurry, and we're scared, and we're frightened, and we're, we're tense. What Daniel sees is definitely not the product of his imagination, But it's worth noticing it. It's a very human response, a very human response to this vision. And 
you know, noticing that, noticing this, this very human response to this bizarre passage with all this chaos and these terrifying monsters, it reminds us that at the end of the day, this is about real people in real history. And that's very important because that'll help us understand what Daniel sees, what it means, and what it tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might be joining us for the first time today. We're in the middle of a sermon series where we're tracking our way through the Bible to see how the Bible gets to Jesus. And so we've covered a whole lot of old the stories so far. I think I might have bumped something there. Uh, there we go. <clears throat> the story so far, if you're following on the printed outlines. We're doing a broad sweep of the Bible in this series of sermons So we can see that forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central focus of the Bible from its first pages to its last pages, even in the very weird stuff. And, you know, it's as you read the Bible, it's like a beautiful tapestry that's being woven. And so we've seen threads of of the serpent crusher who's going to come and defeat sin and death by defeating Satan even though he'll be injured in the process. We've, we've seen the thread of God's plan to restore his people in his place under his rule and blessing. We've seen the thread of a substitute sacrifice who turns away God's judgment and frees his people from slavery. We've seen the thread of a forever king to rule God's kingdom. And we've seen the thread of a suffering servant who actually is himself the substitute sacrifice who pays for the sins of God's people. And, you know, all these, these threads through the, through the Bible are coming together in this, like, uh, high-def 4K 3D image of the one God promised who will fulfill the promises. The Messiah in the Old Testament, also the Christ in the New Testament, who we know is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, as we've done this over the last uh, six weeks, we've moved through major periods of biblical history as well. Uh, We've been taking big strides through the history of the Bible. So we started at creation in Genesis. We moved to the patriarchs uh, with Abraham towards the end of Genesis. Then we had the, the Passover around the Exodus from Egypt, the book of Exodus. Then we jumped forward to the kingdom of Israel under David. This is still the united kingdom of Israel under David in 2 Samuel. And then last week, we went to the remaining kingdom of Judah after the splits, after the Assyrian Empire destroyed the northern kingdoms. We had the the remaining southern kingdom of Judah uh, in Isaiah's time, even though they were also under threat. And today, as we get into the book of Daniel, we're in a new period of biblical history, which is the period of exile. Now, of course, the southern kingdom lasted a lot longer than the northern kingdom, but eventually their sin caught up with them as well. And God judged them, and he allowed the mighty Babylonian empire to sweep into Judah, to defeat them, to invade them, and carry their people off to Babylon in exile. And this was God's judgment on them for their sin. This happened in about 586 BC. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king in Babylon uh, who, who defeated Judah, he was a very smart guy. And he realized that if he was going to build an empire, then he needed to get the best of the best people you just conquered. So what he did is he went into Judah and he picked from the noble families, young men who were fit, good-looking, intelligent, had lots of potential, 
And he put them through a re-education program so that they would become leaders in his new worldwide Babylonian empire. And Daniel, of course, is one of those young men. And though they tried to make a Babylonian out of him, he never gave up on the Lord, and the Lord never gave up. And he ended up becoming a top civil leader in Babylon, and actually under three successive kings, even when the kingdom changed hands and Darius the Persian took over. 50 years later, around 539 BC, Daniel was still one of the top leaders in the nation. So that kind of brings us up to today's passage in chapter 7 of Daniel. It gives us an idea of where we've come from and uh, perhaps where we're going. This is going to be the first point in our heading on our outline. If you've got a Bible with you, have it open so you can follow along. Especially in a tricky passage like this, it's useful to see the passage in front of you so you can jump back and work through it. So this is our first heading if you're taking notes. Age of Empires, Rise and Fall. Verse 1 gives us the circumstances of Daniel's dream. This is the what and the when. And we're told in verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Now, I've got to say, if you've been reading Daniel from the beginning, or if you've been following the sermon series that uh, David Fowler from AFES has been doing here over the last few years, when you get to chapter 7 and you read that it's happening in the time of Belshazzar, you might be a bit confused. And the reason you might be confused is because the last chapter, chapter 6, was Daniel in the lion's den and Darius was king. Actually, Belshazzar died back in chapter 5. This was after the writing on the wall incident. So how did we get back to Belshazzar in chapter 7? Well, the reason for this sudden break in chronology and the shift back in time is we're actually into a new section of Daniel's writings. You see, the first six chapters were really about what happened to Daniel and his friends. They're all the, the, the classic Sunday school stories. It's the, uh, the fiery furnace and the golden image. It's the Daniel in the lion's den. It's the writing on the wall, all of those things. That all happens really in chapter 1 to 6. From chapter 7 to the end... Sorry, Ken, I think it's that monitor again. Thanks, mate. Button. Oh, there we go. Good. Thanks. I think we're good. So if you'd fallen asleep up until that point, uh, glad we're all together again. So verse one to, uh, chapters 1 to 6 is all about what happened to Daniel and his friends. Chapter 7 to 14 is all about the different uh, visions and images and, uh, and dreams that Daniel has and what they mean. Mostly about things that would happen in the future that God was revealing to Daniel. And so Daniel has the dream in chapter 7, back when Babylon is still top dog in the world. That's going to be very important for us when we get into what the vision means and how to understand it. And we're told that Daniel wrote down the substance of the dream, even though verse 28 tells us that he keeps it to himself, at least initially. Now, the beasts that Daniel sees are obviously the focal points of the vision. And in verse 17... Uh, oh, they seem confusing at first, let me say. And that's right, they're, they're terrifying, they're scary. If I saw beasts like this in my dreams, I'd probably need to be hospitalized afterwards. But we don't need to panic, as I said earlier, because actually the passage itself tells us everything we need to know to understand what the beasts are about. 
these beasts represent different historical empires. So in verse 17, if you jump down there, you see one of the beings in Daniel's dream tells him that they are four kings. You jump down a bit further, verse 23, Daniel's told that the fourth beast is a kingdom. Now, I don't think we need to split hairs here, whether it's a king or a kingdom, because what's a kingdom without a king? What's, what's a king without a kingdom? It's the same thing. So we, if we start with Daniel's own historical context and we take it that these beasts represent great empires, then that means the winged lion in verse 4 represents Babylon, the current empire. The ravenous bear in verse 5 represents Persia, or properly Medo-Persia, the empire that came next in 539 B.C., that means the four-headed winged leopard in verse 6 represents Greece. Uh, and under Alexander the Great, Greece defeated Persia to become the dominant empire in about 336 BC. And if all that's true, then finally the fourth beast in verse 7 and 8, with iron teeth and bronze claws and 11 horns, probably represents Rome, which arose next. It established its empire in 27 BC under Caesar Augustus. Now, I say probably because there is some difference of opinion over what the, especially the final beast is. But I don't think it really matters in the long run. And we're going to talk a bit more about that in a moment. And let me say, if you read a good commentary on Daniel, you'll find lots of good reasons why these animals make sense as symbols of these empires. We won't get into that today, though. And let me say as well, on the back page of today's service outline, there's a little one-pager about how to read this kind of stuff in the Bible. You might find that helpful. But I wonder if you can imagine then Daniel's terror, not just at seeing these great monsters in his dream, but actually as seeing the whole of world history stretched out before him as a progression from one predatory beast to the next one, uh, dominating and devouring the world. I wonder if you can imagine his horror at seeing these different beasts, these different empires rising up out of the house of the sea, stirred by the four winds one after another. It's not much to look forward to, especially for God's people. They're looking forward to being God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. But now they've got all these monsters to deal with. Now, if you grew up in the 90s, you might remember the computer game, Age of Empires. I probably spent a little bit too much time playing that. Uh, but you could play as different civilizations in world history. And the aim of the game was to build up your empire, to destroy the other players' empires, and make sure your empire lasted forever. It's a lot of fun. But in Daniel 8, you know, this isn't what happens to these empires, is it? Pewter game, it actually turns out there is someone else at the controls. I wonder if you notice the language in verse 1 to 8. Verse 4, the beast is made to stand. It was, something was given to it. Verse 5, the beast was told what to do. In verse 6, it had dominion given to it. In verse 12, the dominion is taken away. You see, despite the terror and the power of these beasts, someone else is issuing the orders. Someone else is giving and taking away dominion. In fact, there is a higher power over these empires. 
They are not masters of their own destinies. And actually, a bit like a loser in the computer game, in the end, these empires are ultimately destroyed. They don't last forever. One after another, their dominion is taken away, verse 12. Even the fourth beast, this terrifying, unidentifiable beast with 11 horns, as early as verse 11, we see its fate is no different. Verse 11, as I looked, the fourth beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned in the fire. Now, it's probably worth saying a little bit more about this fourth beast because so much of the vision is, is given over to what it is and what it'll do. As we said earlier, this beast is probably meant to symbolize the Roman Empire. And I believe that's the interpretation that makes most sense of the vision. And certainly in the context of biblical history, it wept across the world, crushing its enemies and establishing its rule over a vast proportion of the world's surface, at least at that, or the known world at that point. At its height, it dominated about 30% of the world's population, historians estimate. The beast that Daniel sees has 10 horns, at least at first. He's told in verse 24 that these horns symbolize kings. Now, they may relate to actual Roman emperors, but the 10 is more likely a symbolic number, as we'll see in a moment. And then Daniel sees another horn, a little one. This is verse 8 before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. We jump down to verse 24 to find out what this is about. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. That's the little horn. And he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. So whatever else, at least, this one thing that characterizes these kingdoms is internal conflict. This kingdom only knows destruction inside and out. But perhaps the most terrifying thing about this fourth kingdom and the little horn is that they're going to make life especially difficult for God's people. Remember, saints in the Bible is a word for uh, holy ones or those set apart for God, those him. But in verse 21, we read, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Verse 25, He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now, it might be tempting to want to tie down this little horn or, or the many horns to different Roman emperors during the Roman period. Maybe the little remembered for his violent persecution of Christians in the 60s AD. But you know, at this point, it becomes really hard to tie down this beast with its 11 horns to specific rulers and their regimes. After all, before Nero, there were only four emperors, not 10. And even if we try to identify the fourth horn as Domitian, who came later in, in AD 81 and was a violent persecutor of Christians, even then the pieces don't actually seem to fit. And perhaps they're not meant to. 
We're told in verse 23 that the fourth beast is different. We're told that the horn itself is different as well. It's characterized chiefly by insatiable destruction, internal conflicts, and arrogance, violence, and hostility towards God and his people. And I think that could actually describe any number of empires that arose long after Rome, up until the present day. So I think the most likely way for us to understand the image is that, yes, it does refer to Rome, this fourth beast, but not only to Rome. And so Rome itself serves actually as an archetype or the epitome of many similar empires which have come after it. This is probably why there's no identifiable animal attached to this beast. Uh, Rome had very obvious animal symbols, especially the eagle and the wolf. This is just a a beast, a kind of one-size-fits-all beast. And I think it's interesting to note as well that many aspiring emperors in modern history have actually looked back to Rome as a model for their domination. Adolf Hitler was one, Benito Mussolini was another, Napoleon Bonaparte was another. They all wanted to recreate the Roman Empire, essentially, in their own way. And that really brings us up to our own time. You know, it's been said that more Christians died for following Jesus in the 20th century than in all the preceding centuries combined. And things are not looking that much better at the beginning of the 21st. And even if we're not facing death, we can see that Christians are feeling more and more worn out as we try to follow Jesus in a world that's turned against him. But whatever empire or regime the fourth beast and the eleventh horn symbolize, and whatever destruction and persecution they bring, the important thing to notice is that this doesn't change where they end up. The fourth beast is destroyed, verse 12. And even though the little horn will make life exceedingly difficult for God's people, going so far as to impose new patterns of worship, new patterns of morality, that's verse 25, even so, his domination won't last. In verse 25, where it says, for time, times, and half a time, it's meant to tell us that his dominion will actually be cut short. Literally, that would would read as one time, two time. And so what Daniel sees in his terrifying vision is a sweep of history dominated by monstrous empires who will arrogantly and violently stand against God and his people. But he also sees there is a higher power standing over them, a higher power who will ultimately cast them down. And he sees that these empires will ultimately meet their doom. Now, we meet the one standing over these empires in verse 9. And this is going to be the second point on our outline, Age of the Sun, Dominion Forever. I'd like you to look with me at verse 9 of our passage today. This is where the higher power is unmasked. And Daniel says... As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. 
A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. This is a ruler like no other. Many thrones are placed, you see, but only one is occupied. And it's occupied by someone called the Ancient of Days. That's, that's a lot more than can be said about these empires, these beasts that Daniel has seen. The Ancient of Days has existed for time immemorial. And his throne is more like a chariot than a throne. And everything about him screams righteousness and authority. And he's served by a vast army, and he's convened the law courts of the universe, and everyone is turned out for the verdicts. And the books are opened. And judgment falls first on the fourth terrible beast with his 11 horns. He is killed, he is destroyed, and his... In verse 12, the three other beasts are judged too. They have their dominion taken away, even though their fate is not yet so terrible as the fourth beast. And we have to wait until verse 26 to see judgment fall on the little horn, the arrogant and violent king who so hates God and hates his people. Verse 26, the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. So no matter who these empires are, no matter what they've done, they will not get away with it. The Ancient of Days, the Lord God himself, the Almighty, will judge. But then Daniel sees there's another There's another who is presented to the judge. And notice that he doesn't rise up out of the chaos of the sea. He comes down out of the clouds from heaven. And he isn't like some ravenous predatory animal. He is like a human being. More human, in fact, than anything that has come before in this vision. So look with me at verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So the beasts have all been presented to God. He has judged them, and he has sentenced them to destruction. The Son of Man turns up. He is presented to the judge. And what's the verdict? Well, he's given the kingdom forever. You see, in fact, rather than having his kingdom taken away and destroyed like the beasts, he's given dominion over the whole world, over all nations forever. And as if to make the point... So we notice the difference. His kingdom will never be destroyed. You know, when we read the Bible, certain words should make us stop and prick up our ears. And the word dominion, I wonder if you've seen that, it's all over this chapter. It's a very important Old Testament word. The first time we come across that word in the Bible is practically on the first page. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. There God made man. 
He gave them dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. See, God gave dominion to humanity in his perfect creation. Now, of course, they failed to exercise that dominion. They listened to the deceitful words of a creeping thing and they fell into sin and separation from their creator. So, That's meant to make us realize that when Daniel sees the one like a son of man coming out of the clouds of heaven, what he sees is almost like Adam, Mark 2. The perfect human being who is judged righteous by God and to whom God gives dominion. Over this, only this time, it's not just over the animals of the world, over birds and fish and creeping things. This time, it's over everything, all people as well. And that's just as well. Because, you know, we've done a rubbish job of ruling God's word, ruling God's world and ruling ourselves. And it gets better because when the Son of Man receives the eternal, indestructible kingdom from God, well, God's people get it as well. Verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and his dominion shall serve and obey him. So, so much for the four beasts and their horns. And as we move to a close, I'd like you to come with me for a moment away from the the heavenly law courts of Daniel's vision in Daniel 7 and come forward about 500 years to a kangaroo court one night in Jerusalem in the high priest's house. Incidentally, this uh, was during the period of the Roman Empire in the first century AD. Jesus had just been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by an armed mob. He was taken to the high priest, taken to the the Jewish religious leaders, and they put him on trial. They tried to find him guilty of all sorts of crimes. But it's turned out to be a lot harder than they thought. It seems like there was nothing they could pin on Jesus. And even when they do accuse him of different things, he doesn't answer. It's a bit like what we read in Isaiah 53 last week. He's not going to dignify their baseless accusations with a defense. Now, I wonder if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel in the New Testament. And we're going to pick up the story. Because what Jesus says is like a bolt from the blue. We'll pick up the story from verse 60 of Mark. It says that the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no... What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power... And coming with the clouds of heaven. 
You know, Jesus has said nothing in his defense until now. And now he chooses his words very carefully. He's chosen them to make maximum impacts. And he says them to someone who knew his Bible well, as a high priest would. And what Jesus is saying is that when Daniel had his vision that night, over 500 years before, Daniel actually saw Jesus as he truly is. God's chosen forever king. And to the high priest and those around, this was a warning. Think very carefully before your pathetic midnight conspiracy condemns the one who has been exonerated by the highest court of the universe. Because his kingdom is going to stand when all other kingdoms have fallen. The Lord himself has declared that it will be so for eternity. Now, this is really good news for the saints of the Most High who are part of Jesus' kingdom forever. Because for us, it means that whatever happens to us in this life, no matter how bad things get, no matter how scary it is to watch the news, no matter how much oppression and even violence we have to live under for following Jesus, the good news is that it will end. The godless empires of this world will be destroyed. And King Jesus will reign supreme forever. And it gets better because we don't, we get to be, as the Bible puts it, co-heirs of God's kingdom. The reformer John Calvin once said, certainly if we are to believe what our eyes see, then the kingdom of Christ seems to be on the verge of ruin. But the promise that Christ will never be dragged from his throne, but rather he will lay low all his enemies, banishes from us all fear. And so I certainly hope that Daniel's vision is good news for you today, that it's an encouragement as you watch the news, as you're reading around the world, as you face difficulty for being a Christian. I certainly hope it's an encouragement and good news. But it's got to be said, this might also be bad news for others. Uh, I was reading on the news this week that uh, TV star William Shatner has turned 90. You know, um, he played Captain Kirk in Star Trek. He's presented lots of reality TV. In a recent interview last week with The Guardian, uh, he was interviewed about what it, what it means to turn 90 and what he's learned. And he said, you know, what you know at 90 is take it easy because nothing matters in the end. And you know, if Jesus is going to be installed as God's king over the universe forever then I think we've got to disagree with William Shatner. Because if Jesus' empire is going to stand when all others have been thrown out in the rubbish heap, then one thing matters a whole lot in the end. And it's this, whether you're with Jesus or against him. There's only two options. Maybe you've realized today that the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven, verse 27, is not given to you because you've rejected God's chosen king and you're not one of the saints of the Most High. Well, of course, Daniel's vision tells us that belonging to God's kingdom will not be easy. 
but it will be worth it in the end. If you want to do something about that today, and I strongly suggest you do, then decide to do business with God. Admit that you're a sinner in need of saving. Believe that Jesus died and rose again to forgive your sin and confess him as your king and savior. If you want some help with that, you could talk to a Christian friend. You could get in touch with us after the service. We'd only be too glad to help you. But be warned and be encouraged because one day every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Of course, some will bow gladly and joyfully in honor of their king, others in humiliation before their conqueror. And that's really what Daniel 7 is all about. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much that you have told us beforehand what will happen. Not everything we want to know, perhaps, but everything we need to know. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you'd help us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ as our only strength and stay in a changing and difficult world. Father, give us a longing for the return of Christ, for all this nonsense and mess to come to an end, and for his kingdom to be ushered in forever. And Lord, as we wait, give us faith, give us patience to trust your wisdom and your plan. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, we're going to respond to God's word now in song. We're going to stand together and sing.